Good morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock, and as usual, as you've come to expect, I'll be your host every Wednesday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Now, why do I say it like that? It's not always how I open, but this week's a little unique in that we have uh, different circumstances that require me to be recording this Tuesday night. That's right. I, it is Tuesday night right now as I record. I am on a, in a side room at the Boca Raton Synagogue. In front of me lay some sidurim, some talisim, some bookshelves, kisei uh, shalayahu, some speakers. What else we have in here? I see a crutch, some paper, some tablecloth. That, that's right. I'm in a storage room, in a side room. This is where I'm recording Bite Size this week because uh, we're on the road. If you haven't heard, which would be crazy, because you should have been tuning in to Jamie the Name this morning, or last morning, or the Armchair Conversation Monday night. That's right, we have been broadcasting from the Boca Raton Synagogue Monday night with an Armchair Conversation with Nefesh Benefesh. Yesterday's Jamie the AM, and today's Jamie the AM with Nefesh Benefesh, and the YU Yarche Kala that was here. Uh, so a lot of great content, and you could always check that out on the archives. But that leaves me to Boca Raton, and uh, I'm recording this Tuesday night simply because Wednesday morning, when my show airs from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., when my show airs from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., I am uh, going to be on the road. We're going to be visiting schools, going to be all over the place in Boca before we leave sometime Wednesday afternoon. So that leaves me to record a Tuesday night here. But that's fine. Our show will go on as normal. We have three contributors this week with different interviews all uh from different areas joanna shepson will join the program at about 9 20 a.m she interviews jason gardner of israel 9 50 a.m tova connect interviews ari folden at 10 20 a.m leora zamek interviews naomi nachman our very own naomi nachman the yasi gourmet herself with her uh she talks with her about her new book perfect for pesach so make sure to tune into that and this week's four to the door we're still doing it, and it is road trip theme, so make sure you tune into that later on in the program. But it's Wednesday. It's really Tuesday. But by the time you hear this, it's Wednesday morning, and we start every Wednesday morning off the same way from now. And that is with Mahapecha Shel Simcha. So thank you for tuning into Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Shamati
fearful reason Sometimes in my tears I drown But I never let it get me down So when negativity surrounds I know someday it'll all turn around Because all my life I've been waiting for I've been praying for For the people to say That we don't want to fight no more There'll be no more war And our children will play one day Yeah. 
read code by Yaakov Shweki. And why do I play I read code usually? It's because it usually means that there was some sort of simcha. I attended some sort of l'chaim, engagement party, wedding, bris, whatever it is. And this week, the shout out goes to my roommate. My roommate, my roommate. What do I mean by that? I have four roommates, four wonderful guys that I live with. But one in particular actually shares a room with me. And that is Ellie Kirsch. Ellie Kirsch was engaged this past Sunday to Alyssa Greenberg of the five towns. Both of them are actually five towns. Actually live within, I'd say, five-minute walk of each other. Never knew each other existed. But, uh, you know, God plans. Excuse me. I, 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 the saying is actually man plans. God laughs. But, uh, you know, Hashem works in mysterious ways. And sometimes it's uh comes out to be that you have those funny things like that. And uh, both of them, incredible people. And I wish them a mazel tov. I, I felt terrible because he got engaged on Sunday. L'chaim, Sunday night in the five towns. So I was there. Uh, beautiful L'chaim. And, and I'm saying goodbye to Ellie. I say, Ellie, like, goodbye. I'm I'm flying to Boca. You know, 5 a.m. alarm and I'm 7 a.m. flight. And I won't see you until Wednesday night. And that's assuming we see each other. And I felt bad. He came back to the apartment. And uh, I, I don't think the alarm woke him up. And if it did, Ellie, I'm sorry. But... Um, only for good things. So, Mazel Tov to you. And that was uh, that's why we played at Recode. But here we are on Bite Size, and thank you for tuning in. We're going to start our interview process with Joanna Shepson. She interviewed Jason Gardner of Israel Tell. I don't want to speak no more. Here's Joanna with Jason. You're tuned into Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. Today I have a really exciting interview. I want to announce some really exciting news in the tourism industry in Jerusalem. And I'm going to give you a couple of clues so you can figure out where I am. Number one, I am now standing in the German colony. I'm in a location that is currently under construction, but there's already a great buzz about it. I'm also in a place that's going to become one of the coolest new locations and venues for parties and an incredible place to stay as a tourist. Have you figured it out yet? If you haven't figured it out, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the new Isratel Orient, located at the end of Emek Rafaim, just across from First Station. And I'm sitting here with Jason Gardner, the new banqueting and conference manager of the Isratel Orient. Hi, Jason. Hi, Joanna. Thank you so much. Great being here. So it's really exciting. I'm downstairs now in one of their offices, and we're watching as they're putting the stone floors in, and they're adding the mosaic onto the walls. Um, tell us a little bit about what this Isratel is going to be like. Sure. So the welcome to the Orient of Isratel, which is part of the exclusive club uh, of Isratel. Uh, the exclusive club, many of you might know as Bereshit, as Kramim, uh, Royal Beach, and Yerota Carmel. Uh, so the Orient is now going to be the flagship hotel of the exclusive club of Isratel. Uh, and it's actually Jerusalem's, Isratel's first hotel in Jerusalem. Uh, the hotel will have 243 rooms in the hotel. Um, of which includes 25 suites uh, and includes, which is extremely special, almost like a hotel within a hotel, which is two restored buildings from the times of the Templars, uh, which holds altogether 39 rooms out of the 243 rooms. Uh, so we're talking about a new gem in the heart of Jerusalem, of uh, which many of you are very familiar with here in the German colony, as Joanna said, and uh, we're all looking forward to uh, inviting you here and, and see for yourselves. And when can you expect, when should we expect that the hotel will open? Uh, we're looking at a soft opening in June, uh, so we're, we're really taking reservations from July at this point. Um, as you mentioned, I am the banqueting manager here at the hotel, 
um, our banqueting center, I, I'd like to call it, um, is quite large. It's Jerusalem's second largest, um, of which can hold conferences for over seven, eight hundred people, uh, weddings for up to 550, 600 people. Uh, that doesn't mean we won't be doing smaller events. The halls actually close uh, their partitions, which we can make 100 people, 200 people events, and obviously even smaller. Um, it's interesting because I'm just planning my son's bar mitzvah right now. So I've looked at lots of different locations. And when you really start to look, there are very, very few locations that can hold that number of people. So it's going to be really special. And are you also going to have a focus on conferences? Absolutely. Uh, conferences, uh, again, of up to about seven, 800 people, uh, both conferences and a foyer of 400 meters. I'm not sure what that is in feet these days, <laughs> uh, but it's quite large for coffee breaks and, and for buffets and whatnot. Um, what, what I didn't mention before is that the, the style of the hotel uh, is Jerusalem's first hotel, which is a real, real nice mixture of authentic Jerusalem together with the modern feeling. Um, mostly, most of the hotels uh, we're all familiar with either have the full modern look or have the historical value uh, or have just the authentic feeling ambiance to it. Um, this hotel has managed to put all under one, all in one building. I think it's also really important to talk about the location because when you're hosting a conference here or you're having a simcha here, you're walking distance to the German colony, to Yamin Moshe, to First Station, to the old city and the Kotel, which is really unique. Like this is the hotel, I would say, that's closest to the Emek Rafaim area. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's exactly like you said. It, because it's on Emek Rafaim, so it's in walking distance also from all the other hotels in the area. Um, in addition to that, as you mentioned, to the Kotel is a, I've tested it as a 22-minute walk, um, not, not even a brisk walk. Well, Jason is a runner, so I'm not <laughs> sure about that one. <laughs> uh, running, we could actually do it in 10, but, uh, but a nice walk, a 22-minute uh, walk to the Kotel. Um, well, in the past, people have also hosted conferences at Binyanei Uma, which is the main conference center, but that's very far out when it comes to, you know, people wanting to just run out to get something to eat on Emek Rafaim or to get to the Kotel. So this is more unique in that absolutely sense. absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Uh, Binyanei Uma, which is, as you mentioned, is in the entrance to Jerusalem, uh, kind of a cab ride or a bus ride away from any of the hotels except for the Crown Plaza, which is right next door. Uh, here, we're really smack in the heart of the uh, tourism, uh, the tourist attractions uh, of Jerusalem. Also, I mean, there's no way, I can already tell you, there's no way to compare the experience of being in Binyanei Oma or being here. Like the authentic, the beauty, the authentic Jerusalem buildings, the old Templar buildings. Actually, as we walked in, you mentioned that there's going to be a special museum. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, on minus one, uh, Actually, the, 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 build, the hotel is built from uh, nine floors, uh, of which from one to nine are rooms. And on the tenth floor is our pool, is our outdoor pool, which is on the roof, uh, which will have a grill bar uh, next to it as well. Um, going down to minus four, on minus one, as you mentioned, we will have a museum, uh, which will describe the area we're in, about the Templars, the German colony, uh, about Jerusalem in general, uh, that's going to be minus one. Uh, if we're talking about the hotel already, I'll slip it in here. Minus two uh, will be our indoor pool. Uh, so we're going to have an outdoor and indoor pool uh, together with our Yarota Carmel Spa, 
Uh, which is oh, I'll come back for that one. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, so yes, the museum is on minus one. It is a lovely, lovely museum um, with artifices of the area and and describing where we are. Well, so tell us a little bit more about what makes a Yarota Carmel Spa special. So Yarota Carmel Spa, uh, as any of you are familiar with, uh, stemming out of Yarota Carmel originally, um, and now. Uh, is in your in Yerote Carmel, the Kramim, uh, Bereshit, and Royal Beach. Uh, we're going to have eight treatment rooms uh, in addition to a Turkish hammam, um, as well as jacuzzis, obviously, and saunas. Um, and what's lovely about what they thought about doing was coming out of the treatment room, which is actually a minus one uh, on the other side of the museum, basically. Uh, you'll be able to take an elevator uh, within the spa itself down to the pool and down to the fitness room, rather than actually having to go out in the hotel with your robe on, which none of us really like doing. Uh, I think that's only acceptable in Yarota Carmel, where probably. people walk around in their robes. <laughs> probably, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so yes, so that's, that's a little bit about our Yarota Carmel Spa, uh, which we're very, very excited about having a hotel in the heart of Jerusalem together with a very, very nice, luxurious spa. Fantastic. And then is there any way you can describe the ballroom space? Are we talking about one large, large room? Does it have any pillars inside? That's always a question someone who's planning a party has. Absolutely right. Uh, Our large hall um, is 700 meters. Uh, Again, I'm not sure what that is in feet. Uh, It's a very, very large hall, which we call the Allenby Hall. And the Allenby Hall can split into three smaller halls. Um, holding about 150 to 200 people in each hall with full technical equipment, if that's a projectors, screens, and everything built in, sound system built in. Um, in addition to that, we're going to have a shul, a nice synagogue, which is right, again, on that level as well, uh, which can be also broken down to a nice VIP meeting room. Uh, and next to that, a hall, a room, meeting room called Wingate Meeting Room, which is also for a VIP uh, conferences for about 20 to 30 guests. Um, and then there's the Patterson Hall, which is another hall, which is 150 meters, uh, which can hold, for for example, for a Friday night dinner or Shabbat lunch, approximately 130, 140 people. Uh, and that as well breaks down to three uh, smaller halls. Uh, so we're talking about quite a large center uh, on our minus four uh, I mentioned minus four, so some people, uh, who have, whoever has not seen the, the actual location, uh, might think that it's down in the dungeon or it's claustrophobic. Uh, what's really lovely is that you're able to, the uh, daylight actually reaches that floor uh, from the reception area. Um, it's almost like an open area down to the hallway of the halls. So, so, yeah, there's a beautiful outside courtyard, and the, it allows a lot of light inside. Yes, um, now, the next question I'm sure people are going to have is, tell us a little bit about the food. I heard that there are some special chefs involved. Yeah, there sure is. Uh, first of all, the chef of, of the hotel is, is Eric Atias. Um, chef Eric has been, many of you will know him from the David Citadel. He was there for 14 years from the opening. Um, over the last several years, he's been in the Daniel Hotel in Herzliya. Uh, the French, very, very, very high uh, level chef, uh, mixing together modern and traditional dishes. Uh, and we brought in, as well as an advising chef, uh, Asaf Granit. Uh, many of you might know him. He's Israel's probably, it's safe to say, most famous chef right now. Uh, he's all over the media as opening restaurants in Europe. Actually, two of his restaurants in Europe uh, won Best Restaurant in Europe. 
um, very, very well-known chef, and he's also the owner and founder of Machne Yehuda. Uh, those of us keep kosher, we're not familiar with it, it's not a kosher restaurant, but it is, um, it's really a landmark here in Jerusalem in Machne Yehuda. Uh, and Asaf is going to help us bring the breakfast, for example, to a level which Jerusalem is not familiar with. Uh, our friends in the area, uh, all the hotels, five-star hotels in the area, um, are lovely, lovely breakfast. I'm a big fan of them. Uh, what they are, they're five-star modern-day uh, breakfast, uh, which is great. But we thought, think, to thinking out of the box a little bit, uh, to mix an authentic and modern feeling together. Uh, and that ambience will be caused, will be from uh, authentic dishes, Arabic dishes, Israeli dishes, uh, already at breakfast. Uh, so together, Eric and Asaf have been working very hard building that concept. So actually, my husband and I love to go out for hotel breakfast. That's uh, our thing, as opposed to going out at night for dinner. So we will make sure to come by once you open. Absolutely. Um, one other question. The Pool area upstairs. Can you foresee that that's going to be used for chuppahs? Because I've been up there and it has an incredible view. Absolutely. For for cocktail receptions and chuppahs, um, I would say for, for up to a couple of hundred people, up to about 200 people, it'll work perfectly. Uh, many, of you, those, many of you, those coming from uh, the States, most of the events are between 100 to 200 people, so it's absolutely perfect. Um, and it's overlooking... Uh, I'd like to say only the the old city, but it's actually overlooking the the Hare Yehuda, the Jerusalem mountains as well, and the new city. Uh, the, the position of the hotel is just outstanding. So, have you already started to get people calling and booking reservations? How far out are you already booked for Simchas? We're I'm booking. I actually booked a bar mitzvah yesterday for February 2018. Uh, so we're booking ahead of time already. So my husband sent me here today and told me to book December 2019 for my next son's bar mitzvah. <laughs> not, a crazy, <laughs> not a crazy request. And uh, absolutely, the sooner the better. It's going to be, we're looking to be uh, extremely, extremely busy with events uh, and banquets um, and looking forward to having all of you here. One of the other things that makes this new Isratel unique is that you actually have a couple of apartments that you've sold to people who are going to live here. Is that true? That's correct. We actually have, it's two buildings holding all together 11 apartments on the premises of the hotel. Um, there are actually eight out of those 11 are already sold. So there's three left for any of you out there who would like to join the Isratel family on more of a permanent basis or at least have a home away from home beyond the actual hotel rooms. Um, something more permanent. Will those people have access to the to the swimming pool, the spa? Yes, absolutely. Uh, they'll definitely have a free entrance actually to the uh, to the swimming pools, um, and they will be able to use. Will be eligible to use all of the hotel services, uh, if it's housekeeping, um, the gym, um, and whatnot, uh, room service even. Fantastic. So to be able to be on Emek Rafaim in a luxurious hotel with room service if you want it, it sounds ideal. Yep. 100%. 100%. Love to have you here. Fantastic. So for all those listeners out there who want to get in touch with Jason, you can send an email to isrotel at funinjerusalem.com, I-S-R-O-T-E-L at funinjerusalem.com. And check if your date's available. I'm seriously going to write down my date today. So thank you very much, Jason. My pleasure. Thank you. And again, we welcome all of you to come visit us. Um, when you're here in Israel, even pop in, say hi. And obviously, we'd love to have you stay in our hotel. 
Fantastic. Now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanna, and thank you, Jason. Again, this is Israel Tell, Orient. It'll be on Emek Rafaim. I encourage you all to uh, go online, check it out, see what you could book. Uh, it seems like it's going to be an incredible place. Uh, if only I could be there and have simchas for them, I would certainly check it out. doesn't appear I'll have some any soon, but uh, if anyone else does, any of our listeners, go ahead and check that out. Again, Joanna Shepson, check her out at funinjerusalem.com. You could contact her if you plan on going to Pesach. Excuse me, if you plan on going to Israel during Pesach, maybe during the summer, go to Fun in Jerusalem, contact her for any tours, for any parties, for any anything that you want to do, email her. I promise you she knows what to do. She will help you coordinate it. Again, funinjerusalem.com for more information. More coming up on Bite Size. Here's Chazak by Avram Freed.
You're tuned into Bite Size here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Again, why do I sound a little differently? It's because I'm still, what are we, about 50 minutes into the show, and I'm still in the side room at the Boca Raton Synagogue. Haven't gotten fresh air. Uh, things do smell maybe a little older, but the air is blasting, which is maybe what you hear in the background. And uh, that's where I am. A little standing around, sitting around, and, you know, hip-hopping with the music when I can. Uh... But not at this part, because here we have an interview. Tova Knacht with Ari Fold. Thank you for tuning into Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I'm sitting in the beautiful Inval Hotel lobby with Ari Fold, Assistant Director to Standing Together, an international speaker and Israel advocate. Ari, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tova, for having me. What a pleasure. So before we get into everything that you do in terms of standing, t- standing together and all your different you know, speaking tours that you do, can you give us a little bit of background about who you are in terms of your family, Aliyah? Sure. So I was born and raised in Queens, New York. My father was principal of SAR for 30 years or so. Uh, and since I was very, very young, even before I even came to Israel, I came to Israel when I was 16 approximately, I used to have these vivid dreams about being in Israel and, you know, even in the army, I would have vivid dreams about wars in Israel. No idea where that came from. But uh, my grandmother, who survived many different concentration camps, so at, I think it was the age of 16, uh-huh. she gave me a pep talk. And oh. she told me that, you know, this is not home. Wow. You so, need to listen to your grandmother. Yes, yeah, so I did. <laughs> But the truth is, I was 16 at the time. I wasn't really listening to her. And, you uh-huh. know, I said, Grandma, come on. This, you know, the Holocaust can't happen here. Yeah. And she said to me in Hungarian, Boland, which means, you know, stupid, I guess, stupid head or something like that. She said, we felt the same way in Hungary. And I had a great-grandfather who was a general in the German army in World War I yeah. with the Germans. Wow. I had someone in the parliament in Hungary. And it was all stripped, you know, in a, in a second in World War II. So either I was 16, it kind of seeped into my brain that, you know, maybe Grandma's right. <laughs> So what did you do? So, <laughs> At the truth, yeah. So the truth of the matter is, is that you know I was still playing you know hockey in high school and MTA and you know sports and girls and sports and you know like a regular teenager. Teenager does in America. Okay. But those dreams, those vivid dreams of really in the army in Israel were were, were insane. And my brother, my oldest brother Moshe, was in the army uh, six years before me. Uh huh. And we were here updates from all the time. And something was pinching inside. I mean, my parents brought us up in a very religious and Zionist way. So we knew someday we were going to get to Israel. Yeah. We don't know when that would happen. It was internalized. It was internalized. It was, it was running very, very deep. So in 90... I was supposed to come from my bar mitzvah, and my grandfather fell ill, so I didn't come from my bar mitzvah. Uh-huh. And then I came on Achva, yeah. the 10th grade tour around Israel, which was mind-blowingly awesome. Yeah. I mean, I was literally eating the dust on the ground here. It was, it was great. Um, I kind of stayed for the year for sabbatical after that, and in 91 I came to Yeshiva here for, in Yeshiva Takot on the Rav Bina here for the year, uh-huh. which was for me realizing a dream that, you know, emotional, spiritual, beyond belief. Like, again, I was playing hockey the year before, uh, so, but it was, it was so, mind-blowing. Something spoke to you. And so my parents realized it when CNN was in Israel that year, uh-huh. 
it was the year after the Gulf War. Wow. So there were like 30 guys instead of 120. Uh-huh. And CNN was once at the Kotel, and they were asking people about Jerusalem, not ours, and this. And I got up, and I gave them a pep talk. <laughs> so my parents actually saw it on TV, and they're like, who is this guy? You, I'm sure, knowing you, I'm sure you set them straight. Well, yeah, but I, I was never like that before. In other words, I, again... You came I was, from somewhere. Uh, of course. But, yeah. Uh, you know, but I never stood up like that before. And my parents were like, who is this guy? Yeah. So at the end of that year, I called my parents, and I said to them, Iman Abba, I'm joining the army. Uh-huh. They were a little bit nervous. Right. Um, but they'd already gone through it with your other brother now. That's true. I think I was, he was the firstborn, so he was like the responsible. You know, he was everything. He burped sun, sunshine, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was a sandwich kid. Uh-huh. So what do you mean you go into the army? Right. You know, they, they were very nervous about it, more than, you know, they weren't against it. They were yeah. just nervous. And then I wrote them a letter, which... I guess came very from somewhere very deep down. Uh-huh. You know, mentioned grandma. I mean, my grandmother, she survived four different concentration camps, and you know, she had stories where every time I would, I would write a report in high school, I, I would use her as a source. Wow. You know, we had she grabbed her cousin off the death line in Auschwitz um, when Mengele was separating the people in different lines. Yeah. So my grandmother was very strong. She went to the life line, and her cousin saw her parents killed, so wow. she was a little bit senile. So they put her to the death line. And oh. my grandmother ran out of line and grabbed her wow. and saved her life. Wow. And we heard stories from her right and left. We heard stories that in Hungary they were very friendly with the Hungarians, non-Jews. And when they came to take her away, the non-Jewish neighbors were cursing them out, saying, get out of here. So I wrote my parents a very, very emotional letter saying, you know, this is a historical oasis. And I'm not going to miss this opportunity. And they were very confused. You know, who, who, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, what happened? He was playing, you know, hockey and sports and nothing matters. So that was a very, I think that was, that was the transition of, you know, believing in something and then actually acting on that belief. Okay. So then? So I joined the Army in August 92. Okay. Uh, I had a couple of other lone soldiers with me. I was a lone soldier at the time. Um, it, wasn't a big, it wasn't a big thing back then? It lone wasn't soldier. a big thing. No, no. There, were no. there was no support systems. There was no, no cell phones. You couldn't call home. Right. You know, there was no lone soldier center. There was no standing together. There was, you were on your own. Yeah. And there was no open. Right. So I was in with another around five lone soldiers. We had three from the United States, one from Canada, and two or three from two from France, I think. Okay. And we all went in together. We were friendly right away. You know, speak, spoke English. It was great. Um, and the army service was going great. You know, it was really fantastic. I was like literally realizing a dream there. Yeah. Like they dr- literally had dreams when I was younger. Were coming true. Coming true, which was, it, you know, I put on, when I put on that uniform the first time I was growing, it was like, so you emotional. know, 2,000 years of weight just like on your shoulders. It was really emotional. I mean, yeah. we're, not, we're not at the whim of anybody else anymore. We have our own soldiers, which is really mind-blowing. Yeah. So the army service was going great. And then in March 93, um, we were in our tent, and one of the officers came in and asked us if we knew who Yoshua was. Yoshua was a Canadian guy who drafted with us. And he was 24 when he drafted. Uh-huh. And they asked us if we knew where he, where he was. Now, Yoshua, he was 24 when he drafted. He was picked to go to officer's course. And we were begging him not to go. He was engaged. You know, he did his duty. Right. Start your life. Right. And his reaction was basically, I'm not going to be an officer in the IDF. Like, what do you, it was not even an option for him to say no. So he went back to Jerusalem to his fiancée to say hello, and then was supposed to go off to officer's course. So we said, no, he, you know, you don't. we don't know where he is. He went to, so we called Karen up, his, his fiancée. We said, so where's Yoshua? And she said he was here Wednesday, whatever it was. He left on Thursday. He's supposed to be back on the base already. 
So we were calling and calling and calling. No cell phones. We were using, you know, regular Asimun, you know, <laughs> the old payphones in Israel. Yeah. And nobody knew where he was. So we weren't nervous. We think maybe I don't know. He took a couple of days off. You know, there's no thoughts in our mind of tragedy or something happened. Yeah. So the officer left the room, and then a couple of minutes later, the female officer came in, the one who was in charge of our emotional well-being. Yeah. And she took everyone else out of the room except the uh, other lone soldiers, and she said, we found a couple of Yoshua's belongings on the road. Oh, no. And again, we weren't expecting anything. So he, got, he lost them, you know. You weren't expecting the worst? No, of course. We weren't, it wasn't even, you know, even in the back of our minds. And um, one of the things we were filling. Now, oh. Yoshua became religious on his own in Canada, and he brought us whole family back yeah so this feeling he's not going to lose so we were like okay well what does it mean so then she said we we have a we have a suspicion we're nervous that he was kidnapped at that point we we're like what are you talking about you know, you know then the other officer came and said listen we're taking everyone out for search parties and we don't want you guys to go yeah so then it really hit home and we said look we're going said, we're not staying here you know the search party started from Yerushalayim, from Tachanim Merkazid, and the whole bush area, you know, when you're driving from Yerushalayim to Tel Aviv, you know those um, armored vehicles on the side of the road? They said those like 1948. Right. So behind is a forest. Uh-huh. And we were combing the forest for three days straight. It was pouring rain. Yeah. And there were thousands of people, volunteers out there. We, we had the ultra-Orthodox. We had, you know, Zionist religious. We had the second. Everybody was out there searching. And on the third day, the medic, our medic, uh, screamed, we found him, we found him. Oh, no. So we ran over, and we thought, you know, he, you know, he's resting, whatever it is. He was lifeless. And, you know, a couple of jumped on him to try to revive him, but he was, yeah. he was killed already three days earlier. Yeah. Um, and what happened was, we, they caught the terrorists. Yeah. There were four terrorists who were dressed up as uh, religious Jews. We took them in their car. Aye, aye. Apparently, he heard them speaking Hebrew, which sounded like Arabic, and there was a struggle, and they basically murdered him on the spot and threw him off the side of the road. Oh, my gosh. So you can imagine, you know, again... So this story has really uh, yeah, impacted was, your life? It, it, in an insane way. In other words, again, hockey, to senior retreat, it's happy-go-lucky, carefree. To totally different side, you know, sides of the spectrum, you know, to extremes. The two years before, I visited our Herzl, the, you know, Mount Herzl, where all the soldiers are buried as a tourist. Right, and now you go and you visit your And friends. so now the funeral, and the truth of the matter is, the funeral had tens of thousands of people on the streets of Yushalayim. I met his parents for the first time. Wow. You know, I never met his parents before. And the headline in the paper in Hebrew was, Yeshiva students and soldiers walk Yoshua to his last, you know, that, that headline was him, though. It was like, he was unity. It's, all, it's what he it was all about. Right. You know, he went to other soldiers' funerals when he was alive. He wrote a diary, and he said, if God forbid something happens to me, I don't want any gunshots at my funeral. It was like prophecy. It was very scary. And they didn't shoot at his funeral. Wow. So that was a big shocker. Um, that was in 93. And, of course, in 95, I went to, went to Barry Line afterwards, met my wife. Well, she was actually dating me when I was in the army. Uh-huh. And if she was able to get through that with me. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you know. Seriously, that's a that's a, so, that's tough stuff. So, I got married after that. Had a had a couple of kids. Uh, my kids never actually met Yoshua. Obviously, he was I was 18 when he was killed, but they all know him. They all know him. They all know, you know, the parents when his mother unfortunately died 3 years ago from cancer. Uh-huh. And his father hasn't, you know, worked a day in his life after that. It's 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 destructive. It took a toll, took a toll on him. It's destructive. You know, nowadays you're working with Standing Together. 
Right. So I'm working for an organization called Standing Together, which basically supports and supplies soldiers, frontline soldiers, with whatever they need in order to make their lives a little bit easier and let them know that people around the world support them. So that actually started after 2006. Um, I was in Lebanon with my unit in 2006. We had a very, very bad time. I know we don't, we're not on video, but you can see it here. Um, we, had, we were ambushed in Lebanon, and um, basically Hezbollah fired mortars at us, and while I was trying to you know, get someone out of the line of fire, this piece of shrapnel hit me in the back. Well, it hit my vest, at least, and didn't cut, didn't blow, didn't cut me in half. Wow. Um, and it was a very, very, very close call. You can pick it up. You I can like touch you. it? Yeah, of course. It's not going to break. Oh, my God. It's really heavy and sharp. It's, it's a piece of uh, Iranian mortar, what, what the IDF told me. Oh, my God. And um, that was really a close call. I mean, that, that was a very... When I got called up to the Army to go to Lebanon, so my kids were in camp, and I was running this day camp in Beit Shemesh, and I got the call from the Army, yeah. And I took my kids out of camp and ran home. And my kids were like about to go to pool. I'm like, Abba, it's pool time. And now I have to explain to my kids, well, daddy's going off to war. We have to go. Now, that kind of double life is a little bit uh, insane for the family. I mean, thank God my wife is very cool about it. Yeah. It's, but, it's uh, tough, you know, finding out, you know, the boys, you know, boys, you know, 18-year-old boys, they go to the army, and then you think that's it. But then they get older, they're called up for Miloem. It's not an easy thing. And you're called up for weeks at a time. Right. So... It, you see, when you say easy, physically, it's certainly not easy. Yeah. Um, I smile when I get a draft. Cause I, I do because there's, pride. there's a lot of pride. It's not pride in terms of raising the flag, which is also obviously great. It's pride of knowing that you're actually Doing defending something. Ami Israel and Eretz Israel. It's you know, it's, it's really, a, it's realizing a two thousand year old fantasy. Yeah. I don't call it a dream. It's a fantasy. I mean, if my grandparents had you know, an army, had an army. Yeah. This, right. You know, so we got home. And I was throwing my gear into my bag, and seven minutes later, I'm waiting on my porch for the cab to come pick me up, and my wife and my four children are out there, uh, you know, I gave my wife a hug, goodbye, and, yeah. and my kids, gave, gave them a bracha like we do on Friday night, and my hands are shaking, because You're people scared. don't come back for more. Right. So we made it up north, and we were training, and we had an operation 38 kilometers into Lebanon. Our helicopter was blown out of the sky, so we were not flown in, we walked in. And we were winning in an apple orchard hiding out there, and when we got the order to go move ahead, the officers moved ahead, and unfortunately they were hit by a sniper fire. And the communications guy was hit by sniper fire, and the ones in the jeep were hit by a missile. And so we were evacuating the guys, those guys back. Missiles hit the orchard that we were, we were you know, staying in three minutes before. Yeah. Uh, shrapnel was all over the place, and this is what I want people to understand. You know... All the rules of engagement that we hear in the UN and UNESCO and Geneva Convention, this has nothing to do with our enemies. They don't keep any of those rules. No one expects them to keep any of the rules. There's no consequence when they break those rules. Yeah. In their warheads, they put in glass, they put in screws, they put in lead shards. So right. if the glass doesn't get you, the shrapnel will get you. Right. Um, so when this shrapnel hit me, I thought, you know, besides the big piece, I thought there were little pieces in my body. And that's, you know, four minutes hits your heart and you're finished. So I was literally saying, Shema, and, you know, telling the medic, you know, mm-hmm. cut me open. Uh, one of the officers who was hit there, uh, he was hit in the neck, oh, yeah. and he had shrapnel all over his chest. Oh, God. The doctors, 39 kilometers in, did open heart surgery on this guy, saved his life. Oh, He's God. recuperated since then. He's ran two marathons, oh. and he's second in command of the unit right now. I mean, this is what Itzik Boadana is his name. Itzik Boadana. He's he's an amazing, amazing guy. I mean, I it's strength that has physical, you know, attributes. 
Anyway, I got back after the war, and we, we didn't have any food left, no drinks left. We were dehydrated. We, were, we haven't slept in two and a half weeks. Uh-huh. You know, we got back exhausted. We crossed over the border, and we basically collapsed um, simply because we were exhausted beyond belief. And what, what basically happened was when we collapsed, we hear a motor coming from the Israeli side, and we all jump up like, you know, lions, thinking that's, you know, Hezbollah terrorists. And a truck and a trailer drive up from the Israeli side, Guy gets out of the Jeep and says, what do you guys need? And I was, drink, food. Pulls out water, juice, cola, chocolates. I'll never forget that chocolate. Loads of chocolate bars. What else do you guys need? We need food, sandwiches and, and, you know, cake and pretzels. It was just amazing. What else do you need? So we haven't changed our clothing in two and a half weeks. He brought us underwear, shorts, T-shirts, socks, shoes, like sneakers. Did you know who he was? No. No, so I, now do you know who he is? Well, now I know who he is. So I walked up and I said, who are you? And he says he has an organization called Standing Together. Ah. And he travels around the border 24 hours a day, guys going in, coming out, and gives them whatever they need. So I said, well, who's this all from? He's not a, you know, these guys like, I said, are you a millionaire? He says, no. He pulls out a bag of letters, thousands of them, and I pull one up and I, it says in English, dear Chayal, know that we love you, we support you, we davening for you, uh-huh. and we're sending this love to you. Signed, you know, Moshe, Michal, Lisa, Michelle. It was just people from all over the world. Wow. You know, and so... It's all, all these the, classrooms full of children that are... Uh, unbelievable. All the ideology, and, yeah. all the ideologies that I lost, and I lost some because it was a very, very bad war, yeah. came back in a fraction of a second. It restored your hope in uh, humanity. <laughs> it, well, at least, at least in my own name, you know. Right. And then I gave the letters to, to my friends, my native Israelis who didn't speak English, and I was reading it to them, and they're crying. They, they just, you know, soldiers are tough and this and that, but, you know... We're gentle kind of beings, you know? <laughs> we get back from an operation, we sit with the guitars and we sing. Right, you know? yeah. So this made, had a huge effect on me, you know. So when I got back from the war, I couldn't really go back to work so quickly. It was a little bit, you know, so I went to Yeshiva for a couple of years to, you know, calm my brain. Yeah. And then six years later, I was supposed to go to Yeshiva for one year. Uh-huh. Six years later, I really had to go back to work. I mean, you know. Yeah. So I went back to Tel Aviv to marketing and high tech, and it was get them for me I, I, I couldn't working. stand going every morning it drove me crazy yeah so around three years ago David Lando the head of Standing Together calls me up and says hey Ari how would you like to help me run the organization wow so I called my office up in Tel Aviv and I quit <laughs> like he says what are you doing I said listen if you need me for two weeks I'll stick around but it, he says what did you get another job I said yeah he goes more money I said no it's a non-profit it's not even a tenth of what I'm getting paid here he goes car no car no phone no nothing he goes what are you nuts you're making a difference and I said look this is what we're doing the end result was the company that I was working at actually sponsored a unit with standing together wow call a couple to them Wow. So, you know, I mean, it's paying it forward, and you know, I'm often still in uniform, but this is really, you know, forget about being on a high every time I come back from going out to soldiers and giving them whatever they need. Yeah, so tell people, how can people get involved? You know, I know you go out on bar mitzvah trips and... Well, bar mitzvah trips now is a little bit of a problem. The IDF, because of pirated organizations, have stopped all donations to soldiers. Huh. Because they were a pirated organization that had no clearance to go on bases, and they were going on bases that were even top secret and taking pictures. Wow. So... They've now returned our clearance, standing together. Okay. And so now we're allowed to go back out to bases. Um, but the point is, what's very clear is we do not give them combat gear. That is, it's illegal according to Israeli law. Okay. Like boots and vests, it's illegal. Okay. I, I don't think, I think it's great that they should get them, but it's illegal, so we can't do it. Um, we basically give them things that are not directly um, connected to their combat. Now, we have the water packs that we give them. We have the dry fit clothing for the summer. We have the fleece jackets for the, the winter. The gloves, which have a trigger finger that comes off so they can wear them during operations. 
Um, and, you know, I've been on both sides. I've been on the receiving side and on the giving side. And the truth of the matter is, the giving side is a lot more, you know, uh, in terms of my, my, you know, my feelings, it's, it's tremendous. It's so exciting. I mean, I was lucky enough to go on one of these uh, trips with the Bime family. Right. That was fantastic. And then I went also on a Purim experience last year to deliver Shalchmanos. So that was really, it was a magical experience just bring my children to deliver Shalchmanos to these soldiers and seeing the soldiers' faces light up. And just a call of to you for leaving everything behind to just help these soldiers. You know, I always say when you see a soldier on the street, you know, you just say thank you. You say kol kavod, and they their their whole face lights up. Right. They don't even understand. In other words, I, I'll say to the soldier, I feel when people come, you know, and they, they give us stuff, it's not embarrassment. It's like, what what are you giving us stuff for? Like, what, what, you know, the soldiers don't even understand why they deserve it. So they're actually saying thank you to the people who are coming. The people are coming like, what are you talking about? They're thank so you. They're so humble. It's, it's unbelievable. unbelievable to see it. But th- again, the issue is. Our goal is really, really simple. Wherever the soldiers are, whatever they need in order to lift their spirits, lift their morale, and let them know that people really support them from around the world, we'll get to them. We have around 5,000 Mishlach Manot that are getting to lone soldiers and other soldiers who don't really have you know, a strong family background. Pesach, for instance, we have um, soldiers who don't want to go home because they're going to be a financial burden on their family. Wow. So we package huge boxes of everything a family can possibly need for, for Pesach. Uh-huh. We don't give it to the soldiers. We don't want them involved. We send it to the homes. It's the, the IDF gives us their information, and the IDF sends the boxes to the family's home, and then the, the, the kids go home. The kids, 18, 19-year-olds go home. They can enjoy Pesach without oh. having to worry about a single thing. Amazing. You know, it's, it's really, it's really, it really is an amazing. I mean, thank God I have this opportunity to do this, because... Such it's therapy thing. for me. <laughs> I really know it is. You know. It's giving back almost. Right. It's really, really amazing. Okay, so something that you do also, you go on speaking tours, you talk about, you're, you talk about Israel positivity, and you're, you're really an Israel advocate um, because a lot of the world right now is seeing Israel in a very negative light. So what is your goal on these speaking tours? So look, I think that, you know, according to Judaism, I think they say the days before the redemption, you know, they say good is going to be bad, bad is going to be good. People aren't going to be able to see the truth anymore. You know, to me, I think it's all about truth. In other words, Israel is not here by might. We're here by right. Right. And oh, I like that. We never, we never started a war. We never want war. Right. We never encouraged war. We're always on the defensive. Right. Um, and the fact that the world, you know, look at UNESCO, which, again, I'm not excited about because they have majority of radical Islamic regimes, but when they say that Jerusalem has done you with the Jewish people, it's you. You know, it, but it's to get angry is to get angry. I get angry. But now when I go out, you know, in the public and I go to a non-Jewish group, yeah, you know, if it's Christians, it's no problem because they have their, you know, their new, their, their, new, their new Bible, whatever, you know. And, yeah. and, but when, even when I go to like atheists, the people who are anti-Israel, yeah, I challenge them on the, on their ignorance. I know they say to them, "Look, guys, here's a simple simple question. Show me in the Quran where Jerusalem isn't written at all." Now, that doesn't mean that Muslims can't live in Jerusalem, but when they claim a right to it, they have to back that up with facts. Yeah. You know, Jerusalem was never an Arab capital, ever. It was never Islamic, holy city. Now, that doesn't mean they can't live here, but they don't have that claim. So when I go around, it's about truth. You want to, I'm not even talking about a solution, but you can't have a solution based on lies. On lies. You, have that, to have real you can't have a marriage based on a lie. It, it won't work. Right. You know, and, and here the, the risk is, is worse, because, for example, Aza, we made a deal with her. We, we ripped Jews out of Aza, 10,000 Jews out of Aza. We dug up the Jewish dead from Aza. Yeah. And everyone said, for the hope of peace. Well, nothing good happened from that. No, he right. actually was sitting and rotting in Aza for five years. Missiles are being fired. That would have never happened if Gush Katif was still around. 
Right. So we have to learn from our mistakes. Um, okay, so Kolok vote to everything you're doing with Standing Together and with your Israel advocacy. Uh, continued success with that. Um, to end off the interview, I wanted to add, oh, before we end off. Before we end off, those yes. who want to be involved with oh. Standing Together, so the website is really simple. It's www.stogether, that's like standing, stogether.org. I'll link um, everything we, on the website, yeah. We have all the projects going on the website, and it's something very important, which I pride myself on when I started working in Standing Together, 96% of every dollar is going to soldiers. We have no overhead. We have no, no one else is hired. Everyone's, we have thousands of volunteers. There, no one touches a percent. It's Kodesh. It's the money is sanctified. No one touches a percent of anything. So when people are using uh, their tzedakah money for standing together, you know that it's going directly to the soldiers. Correct. That's really beautiful. Okay, so now to end off, you know, you travel all over Israel. Your knowledge of Israel is remarkable. Um, can you name one place? Is it possible for you to name one place that you could call your Israel happy place? Wow, that is a difficult question. You know, well, I think, I, I mean this honestly, is that the fact that I'm in Israel is my happy place. I mean that. You know, and I, I'm not thinking about me being 43. I'm talking about 2,000 years. I am in my happy We are in our happy place. Wow. And you got to open your eyes. It's, anyone who doesn't see that, their eyes are, you know, they're, they're shut yeah. tight. This is our happy place. But if you want to talk about me, of course, home, my family, of course, you know, every Thursday night I do a live tour from Jerusalem. Uh-huh. And the opportunity and the... From the Kotel specifically. Fantasy, well, Yerushalayim. It's just mind-blowing that we can walk the streets of Yerushalayim. Right. And the day that we forget that opportunity that we have as Jews to come back to Yerushalayim and walk Yerushalayim freely is a day that we lose. So I think that is my happy place. When I go there, just, you know, I light up from there. You know, energy and everything else, it's just, it's, it's, it shines bright. That's, That's what beautiful. it is. Hopefully everybody will have a chance to uh, experience Yushalayim for themselves. Um, so again, everybody go to stogether.org uh, to learn more about Standing Together. And uh, Ari, thanks so much. Pleasure. It's all mine. Wow, all right. what an honor. Thank you. Amazing. Back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Ari. Tova Knecht, as usual. Tova in Israel on Facebook. Check her out. She posts all of the videos as soon as they air. So I promise you, you're listening right now live. Go to Tova in Israel on Facebook. It's up. I have no doubt that it's up. And uh, all her videos you could check out on her Facebook page, all of her interviews, videos around Israel. Again, Tova in Israel on Facebook, Tova in Israel.com. More coming up. Ivri Anochi, Benny Friedman, Benny Friedman's Ivri Anochi on Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. אני הולך עם ראש למעלה, כל אחד הוא בן או בת של מלך. ככה היה, וככה זה גם עלה, יהודים נשמה בוערת. בכל מקום ובכל ארץ, לא רוצה שיהיה אחרת. יהודי עני, זה משהו נצחי. בני אברהם, יצחק ויעקב, בני ישראל
the history I've been through. Ask me where I'm from, and I will tell you I'm a Jew, and every Jew's a proud Jew. Not just me, my sisters and my brothers. Never be ashamed to be a proud Jew. It's not what you've done, it's how he made you. So sing this song and spread the pride around you. Yehudiani, eternally. Hey Abraham, it's called Yaakov. Hey Sarifko, Step your 
What are we celebrating here? It is none other than our very own, Nachum Siegel Network's very own, the Asi Gourmet herself, Naomi Nachman's book launch of her new book, Perfect for Pesach. It's perfect for Pesach. It's perfect for the regular year. It's, per- it's perfect in general. Perfect. I would have just named it perfect. Naomi, if you ever need book suggestions, contact me. Perfect. I mean, that sounds great. Buy the book. Perfect. All right. I'm, I'm done here. I am not available for bar mitzvahs and other celebrations. I am no comedian. But uh, here we are. Leora Zamek, our very own Leora Zamek, interviewed our very own Naomi Nachman. So stay tuned right here. She talks about her book launch and much, much more about her start in this business. So thank you for tuning in to Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Oh, hello. Welcome to, I guess, my portion of Bite Size on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am Leora Zamek. For those of you who do not recognize my Horse voice, sorry, have not gotten a lot of sleep lately. And I am joined today by another familiar name on the Nachum Siegel Network, Naomi Nachman. How's it going? Good. Hi. Thank you so much for coming over to Woodmead to do this. Yeah, you know, it was a nice day. I enjoy the ride. It's gorgeous today. It's a little nice taste of winter we're getting over here. And maybe a nice taste of summer. I think I'm going to barbecue for dinner. Why not? Yeah, Sit like, outside. I thought about doing this outside, but I don't know. Yeah, no, no. We'll stay inside. We'll look at outside. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you are switching roles now and being an interviewee, I guess is the right I word. I think 
because we're we're talking about your cookbook. We're talking about you. Um, that's what's going on now. Um, but before we like jump into the rest of it, since I never really got the answers to these questions, I figured now is the perfect time to ask, how did you get started um, with this? I mean... With the book? No, meaning you, you're called the Aussie Gourmet, obviously because you're, you know, Australian. But like for me, I always baked... And people were like, you know, you really should sell your cookies. So I did, and I started. That's exactly how I started. People said, you cook, you should sell your food. Exactly how, that same story. And you just did. And I just did it. I'm like one of these people who sees an opportunity. Like there was Why a, not? Like with Chopped, right? With the chop competitions. People, Someone asked me to host one, and I'm like, I can do this. And I saw the opportunity, and I grabbed it. And I've done like 50 or 60 chop competitions in the last year. I see an opportunity, especially in the food industry, and I just go for it. Um, so that's what happened with the food in, with with uh, my personal chef business about 13, 14 years ago. Um, we came up with the name the Aussie Gourmet by accident. Me and my husband were like toying around with ideas, and I'm an Aussie, being Australian, right. South African, or British or New Zealand, and gourmet because I think I'm, you know, I would say so. so. I, could, I could use the word gourmet if you'll. Uh, and it became the Aussie Gourmet. It's just been a wild ride ever since. So now, because I've never like. Every country has, like, their own foods, you know. America's known for, like, the hamburger and hot dog type thing. Is what you make anything, like, do you have special things that you had? In, like, yeah. Nah, I don't think so. I mean, I do make a few Australian desserts, uh, pavlova, which will actually be in the cookbook. I don't know if most of you know Australia. Australia created um, the dish um, pavlova. Uh, cool. It was for the dancer Anna Pavlova when she came with a Russian ballet to perform in Australia. So they named this dish in front of her. Uh, peach Melba is also a, an Australian dish that I guess we're really good at making desserts. <laughs> uh, Vegemite, uh, yeah, I'll take claim for Vegemite. I actually do eat it with butter and toast. Um, yeah, many of you have seen me do it. Uh, but otherwise, I think it's just pretty typical Jewish food, twists on food, you know, modern cuisine. Hi, Michelle Cuisine. I like, I like everything. So. so how did you, I mean, I don't know if you like, meaning people said, okay, let's do this, bake, I'll buy it. I mean, cook, I'll buy it, all that stuff. How did you pick yourself up and spread yourself out like this? Okay. So how did I get my name out there? Basically? Yeah. So. I mean, not even just that. I know you from the Nachum Siegel Network. That's how we met. But I'm saying more people know you from this now then I guess, I don't know, how did you... How did I get my name out there? Yeah. Um, okay, so way, 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 way before <laughs> there was something called social media, there was something called print media or cooking demos or word of mouth. And I think that really helps. I would write in a lot of newspapers, which I'm actually still writing for. I write for the Jewish Home, which is um, a local five towns paper. It's also distributed across Nassau County, Queens. You can pick it up, I think, even in Flatbush. Uh, so I would write for them. I'm still writing for them. It's got to be about seven years wow. um, that I'm writing for them, so that definitely helps. I kind of networked a lot. I'm the queen of networking. Besides because <laughs> I'm totally a social, social person, I'm totally right. extrovert. I network a lot. I gave cooking classes, word of mouth, a little self-promotion, um, an ad here or an ad there for a barter for something kind of really got my name out there, and then there was the social media, which really – put it over the top. I got 
I get stopped all over the world for my Instagram. Wow. It's the Instagram stories. It's not normal how people stop and recognize me, either from my voice from the Nakam Right, network. that'll do it. My voice is definitely very distinct. Oh, I listen to your show. I know who you are. I get that all the time. Thank you to Nakam and Miriam for that, um, for giving me the opportunity, but also really like just Instagram and social media and just being nice. If you're nice, people <laughs> it's true, remember though. you. It's really true. And then they pass – you, they pass me on. So it's, it's also, I mean, it's food. Everybody pretty much it, likes it's food. food. So if I'm not true to, you know, if my food wasn't good, I guess I wouldn't have been right for so long. So um, now I don't know if this is true. I heard this that th- this cookbook thing came to you. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> also, this happened quick. Quick. So think about it. I've had recipes for 13 years. Right. Right. You make your own recipes? I, my, my recipes are, uh, you know, I, I do use a ton of other recipe, other people's recipes. Right. I've never been shy about that. I'll say this is a Susie Fishbein, this is a Jamie Geller, this is an Otto Lenghi, um, which I've adapted to be strictly kosher. This is, you know, like I do get inspiration from chefs and Instagram people right. and websites and blogs all over the world. Um but most of my recipes that you see me write are my own recipes. And if I'm inspired by something, I always say inspired by, so you know, whatever right. chef I inspired, got inspired from. Um, but I definitely – I use my own recipes. So I've had a collection. Remember, I've been writing and blogging for years. Right. So I And I had my own repertoire and I, and from cooking demos. So I decided, you know, let's – I always wanted to do a book, but the opportunity wasn't there and then, you know – I got a call, you know, let's meet with Art Scroll and let's see if we can get a book together and it came together and it That's was great. It was amazing. It's really, really, really a dream come true. That's amazing. Yeah. So did you I mean, this is a Pesach one, so the truth is with cooking, you can adapt a lot of recipes to be used for Pesach. Did you find that that was harder? Like you had to use only stuff that you usually make for Pesach? Okay. So this is what I say about my my food. Most of my recipes are gluten free, not because I'm I have no gluten issues. I don't have celiac. I don't have what's the other one that oh, um the celiac and there's a Crohn's and right. I don't have IBS right. and I don't. I know we're getting personal here. I don't have <laughs> no one in my family does. I just. If you don't need to add, you know, extra calories, I'm not even the world's healthiest cook. Everybody knows I love to deep fry, but I felt like I'd, I, you don't always need it. It doesn't always help. true. If you need a thickener, quite often I'll use a potato or chickpeas in my regular cooking. Chickpeas you can't have on Pesach. But my regular recipes were perfectly adaptable for Pesach. Like not even adaptable. Adaptable meaning instead of buying Heinz ketchup, I'm just buying ketchup with an OUP. Right. That's really most of the – the swap outs that I had to do. Do they sell that stuff all year round? Because I remember once there was some Tina Schulz post. I think Susie Fishbein was looking for a specific kosher for Pesach sauce or something because she was testing one of her recipes and couldn't, like she she couldn't find it in the store because they don't sell it during the year. You have to remember one thing. I'm a Pesach chef. I'm a Pesach caterer. I have a pantry downstairs of stuff in my basement where my Pesach kitchen is. Of stuff, I didn't have to hardly buy anything that needed something. Wow. I already had it. Um, a few things I did buy, um, but I was able to buy them at Gourmet Glad. Gourmet Glad has kosher Pesach soy sauce. 
because it's that's crazy wheat free so people who need wheat free soy right, sauce can buy it at there Goya. are brands a lot that of are... Heimischer brands are kosher Pesach all year which made my job much much easier well they probably don't want to change the packaging right it's cheaper right right so it was really it was really like a no brainer and Howie Klagsburn at who runs the gourmet lap uh, buying department said, if you need anything, let me know. And he'll, he helped me. Um, the team at gourmet lap was amazing. I shout out to grow and behold, who sent me some meats to do recipe testing with and some Pele poultry as well. They sent me some duck. So I, it was just always just tons of recipe testing going on. Um, then we sent it out to people to be recipe, recipe tested. So everything was triple tested. Right. Um, and then editing about, 10,000 rounds of editing. <laughs> yeah. My biggest, my biggest fear is there'll be a mistake somewhere, but, you know, it's out of my hands now because, you know, days left. Well, I have some cookbooks that we have, like, written on a page, don't try this recipe because something doesn't work when we do it. But most cookbooks, right. pretty, I'm, I'm, people check and check and check. Right. Yeah. We, we Thousands, have, if not millions of people are going to hopefully be using this. Amen. So... <laughs> Though the truth is with Jews, I feel like if there's a mistake, someone's going to find it and tell you. Oh, yeah. Okay, please do. So, you know, <laughs> if we ever have a second printing, we'll fix it. But we're only going to be positive. Yeah. And we're re- I'm really excited about that. And the fact that out of a hundred, over a hun- little over 125 recipes, only seven have gluten in them. Because I had to have matzo meal in uh, uh, matzo You balls. have to. I have to have matzo it's balls Pesa. in there. Come on. Um, um, <coughs> I did find yeah. that. And I checked Evergreen, Pomegranate, and Cedar Market. I didn't get to Gourmet Glot. Only Cedar Market sold gluten-free matzo balls all year round. Oh, that's interesting. And I'll take a look at Gourmet Glot. But you can get you can get um, gluten-free. But I was surprised that Pomegranate didn't have all glu- year round. Well, I'm gluten-free, so like for me, you're very sensitive to it. Yeah, you can always make your own gluten-free. Um, that's a right. mix. I don't know how you do so that. That's so much you need the harder. Mixture. Yeah. <laughs> buy the packets. Buy the packets. I mean, for baking, I never use mixes, but that's a little bit different. Right, right. Well, we have tons of great gluten-free recipes from desserts. There's actually, in all my recipes, there's nothing with margarine in it and there's nothing with a soup mix. Wow. It's all like you want to season this soup. I've used the flavors of the actual vegetables to flavor the soup and salt. I usually – I, it's so annoying when you get a recipe and it's a, it calls for like one box of white cake mix and you're like, just cause it's like a cookie recipe, but it calls for the cake mix and then you're stuck cause you're like, but I don't, I don't use that. I wanted to bake something. Right, right. Like you wanted to make soup. Right. I do have a recipe and one of the cupcakes has a packet, needs a packet of vanilla pudding mix. Oh, but that's different. Nobody okay. makes their own pudding from scratch. Right. Okay, good. I got an exception. No, that's different. There are a lot of Pesach cookies that have pudding mix in them oh okay good <laughs> i don't know what it is though i don't know why, why the pudding maybe yeah, it it's just to thicken the batter it's a good thickener it makes it taste delicious we were actually somewhere once i was on a shabbaton a hask shabbaton and we needed a thicket but we didn't have any and the place where we were staying had pudding mix and we used the pudding mix to thicken the drinks Oh, that's hilarious. That's probably, was it good? It was probably good, right? I think it was, it wasn't like vanilla. It was like plain, which was so lucky. It had no taste to it. And it, did it just purpose. thickened. Yeah. It was the funniest thing ever. Okay, that's cool. So yeah, it worked out. Um, so how do you market this now? Like 
would you market it as also a gluten-free cookbook or not because I'm, there are I'm, seven? I'm saying that it's Pesach recipes you can use all year. That's my big Yeah, but pitch. does anybody really – I mean, for me, I'll use recipes all yeah, year round. But recipes. People go, oh, my God, I really want your pistachio salmon recipe. I'm like, it's in the book. So That's you're – gluten. It's my, my best of recipes are in this book. You're not worried that – by calling it a Pesach cookbook, people will not But I want am it. known for being a Pesach chef. My phones have been ringing off the hook for two months already, and it's only a little bit bef- a I mean, of I, before. I mean, is just, you know, we're there. Right. Radar, so. Yeah, I don't know even what date we're in, but we, yeah, it's very close. It might be this week. Um, yeah, my head's been in a hole because of the book since Sukkot. So I have no idea what's going Crazy. on in the, the world around me. I, I think there's a new president somewhere along right. the line. But I don't it's know. It's possible. <laughs> yeah, but that's about all I know. No, I'm joking. I, I've been very, very focused on the book. Um, I had a short time frame to do it. I had all the recipes done. Miriam Pascal is my photographer. She did the uh, Something Sweet cookbook. Which I have, which is amazing. And I think it's so cool. I mean, for me, the reason my pictures are good is, honestly, iPhone. iPhone takes amazing pictures. Right. But But for a cookbook... For a cookbook, you can't use. And Miriam moved into my house. We're very good friends. (laughs) And we shot the book for about three weeks nonstop. My poor husband and daughter who lives here was flying. My friends invited us out for Shabbos because we had nowhere to eat because my whole dining room table was covered in props and photography. It was an amazing experience. She is very, very, very talented. Uh, She runs a Facebook group called uh, The Overtime Cook and her blog is The Overtime Cook. She's super talented at writing and recipe development, supporting hands, being a good friends. I'm a lot older than her. We always joke around that she's my other daughter. Uh, She fit (laughs) right into my family. Um, I mean, you had six months. You got to have somebody at your side that like four months. Yeah, four months. Yeah. Well, oh, because I was thinking Sukkot to Pesach is six months, but it obviously can't come out. Yeah. So it was was really intense, but it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life, but I really need a vacation. Right? (laughs) Right. But I'm going to work this this summer. I meant this Pesach at Trump Doral in Miami. For Ramp Caterers, where I'll be giving cooking classes. So if you are interested in coming, you can come join me in all the fun in the sun in Miami. So, yeah. So I'm going. I was recently in Florida. The sun is yeah. nice. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to working and resting there. But I think I'm going to have a real proper rest when I come back. Right. And I'll take some time They out. say you need a vacation from your vacations. Right. But mine's a working vacation right, on purpose. Right. So it's different. <laughs> it's different. Um, okay. You probably get this all the time or maybe you don't. What's your favorite recipe? In the book? Yes. I mean, your favorite recipe has to be in the book. Yeah, I have a lot of favorite recipes. Is that like, I love tuna poke. Let's give a shout out to a few of them. Tuna poke. Meaning like someone wants to open the book and they want, I mean, you made it. They want to know what you trust. Can I give you some recipes? How about that I'm really proud of? Yes, let's do that. I have hummus in my cookbook. Wow. Made out of quinoa, right? That's crazy. Really proud of that one. Um, can you we tell? Have, we have lachmajin. You can tell, but you can't tell at the same time. Because my mom once tried to serve us cauliflower kugel instead of potato kugel. And we all saw that it looked different. And she's like, no, just try it. Just try it. And we're like, but we know it's not potato <laughs> kugel. No, this looks like hummus and it tastes pretty much like hummus. So that's it's good. It's really good. People are going to love it. I'm really proud of the lachmajin appetizer. Yeah, it's a Syrian meat pizza. But right. Instead of using pizza dough, I said, why don't we use the 
cr- the cauliflower crust as my pizza oh, wow. dough, which everyone else does. Use it. I'm like, why does it have to be for pizza? Let's use it for lachmajin. I'm really proud of that one. It tastes very authentic. I had my friend Esther Anzarut, who's uh, uh, SY Gluten Free on Instagram. You should all follow her. She's amazing. I got to go check that out. Actually, as a gluten free yeah. um, person. <laughs> right. I don't know um, what we're go, called. <laughs> yeah. Go and talk to Esther Anzarut. Um, she's Syrian and she does amazing, amazing gluten free stuff. So she tests, and she's Syrian, as I said. So she tested that for me, said it was very authentic. Um, the salads are the bomb, like absolutely amazing. The, I have a haroset salad in there. That's crazy. Um, haroset happens to be like one of my favorite foods. Yeah. My husband also, so it's an homage to him because he always makes haroset when we're home. So that was for him. He loves that salad. Cauliflower sushi. Um, is a great recipe. Interesting, interesting, right? And so people always do it with quinoa, but I'm like, let's do it with cauliflower. Yeah. Um, stir fry. I have mock sesame noodles in there. So what are the? I guess the egg you noodles. You have to buy the book. You oh, have no. to buy the book. It's actually made with spaghetti squash and almond right. butter. My parents are big into that spaghetti squash with meatballs, so they don't have to eat spaghetti right. all year round. Yeah. So it's actually tastes really authentic. So I'm like, we're really proud of that one. The desserts are incredible. I'm really proud of the lemon curd because we worked really, really, really hard to have a recipe without margarine because um, it's hard because you need it to stick together. Right. And, and as a baker, you know how hard yeah. lemon curd is to, to do without oil. Yeah. And so it's water, sugar, lemon. And That's it's, crazy. It's amazing. And it's probably a really lemon. good hand beater or mixer. Yeah, not not even so much. I use my handheld mixer. So, like, we're really proud of all our recipes. And our chocolate cake is amazing, gluten-free. Melinda Strauss developed that one with me. Um, she made about 10 different batches till we got it right. But the most tested recipe in the book? Oh, no. I'm afraid. Cholent. How? People make cholent on Pesach. Right. But I have the ultimate Pesach Cholent. And if I was going to call it the ultimate, it needed to be tested over and over and oh, over Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Kishkonol. So maybe that's your most proud recipe in the book. I don't know. They're all pretty good. So it's like a hard thing to do. It's like putting all my babies in one place. Yeah. You know? <laughs> What's your favorite baby? They're all my favorite. Um, okay. I mean, it's a weird question to ask what's next because you do this, but now that you've done this I mean, this is an amazing accomplishment I feel to make like, a cookbook. Yeah. Do you expand what you do? I mean, you do chopped, you do catering. What do you see in your future from this? Oh, wow. That's a, actually a great question. That's No one's actually asked me that before. So oh, go, uh, exclusive here on the Nelson Siegel Network. Absolutely, on bite size. Oh, my gosh. That's a really great question. I mean, because probably a lot of the things that you, you said with, you know, people started asking you to sell it, so you sold it. Chopped, you saw something, you did it. It wasn't like right. you aimed for this, right. this fell into your lap, you did it. Like I'm now a writer for Mishpacha magazine. I write a monthly comment column called trending i'm so proud to be part of the mishpacha team um you know it's a great you're happy where you're at the the, the whole the biggest piece missing from my crazy resume of things that i do is was the book and now the book is done it when i hold it in my hand and my heart is pounding as i'm saying this too when i hold that book in my hand i'll know i've done it Right. Until then, I can't even call myself a cookbook author until I see the actual book. People always say to me like, oh, you should make a cookbook. I'm like, you don't realize what that means. No, you don't. People don't realize. It's unbelievable. Right. It, it's, you know, 125 recipes plus, you know, is an insane amount of work. And 
I have to say, we, we work like crazy. We, I had, as I said, most of them, but it's a lot of work, a lot of fun. Well, you also said you just tested three times. Then you have to figure out the like by three different people. Then you have to figure out the best way to write it that literally anybody can understand it. Right. It's it wasn't easy. And then you have to take a picture. Art amazing. Mrs. Eisner and Devora Cohen and Gadaius Lodowitz and all the editors are incredible, incredible people. There, warm, loving, caring. They took the book like under their wings and they just cared for it like a baby, like I would. So, <laughs> well, it's your baby. It's, it's my it's my fifth baby. So yeah. So I mean, I know my mom. I think is selling them for her school. But how can people get them? I guess they'll be in all the stores. They'll be in how the stores. In advance. When is this? When is this going to air? No. I guess I don't know, but in, in, not in, not in, too far in, in advance. Too, so you can go to askgirl dot com and order it. You can go to amazon dot com. Right. I saw a pre order on Amazon. Yeah. So but when but does by it come the time out? They listens to this. It's coming out like. This coming Sunday, you know. Wow! Week. So you can buy it in your local Judaica stores or on Amazon dot com or on so Asko. for people that like freeze for Pesach, you you can do that. You can start with you can this. start. Yeah, and Gomek that's actually turning over in a, in less than a week, so you can already buy your. Right, meat. it usually happens around Purim time. Yeah, so yeah, that's coming up. So I have, if you go to my Facebook page or my Instagram, um, in the bio of my Instagram page, there is a link, an affiliate link to, um, the book on Amazon. So it means I get a little extra money. So go and do that. <laughs> Woohoo. Um, or you can, you know, Amazon dot com. So that's great. Yeah. Now You're, people know where to get it. Near me, you can just come on over to my house. I've I'm got sure you'll also. have some. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank this you. is big. This is great. It's cool because now I could say like, I know someone who wrote a cookbook, <laughs> but um, I don't think that's as cool as actually writing a cookbook. Um, but I can't wait to use it, not just for Pesach, but for always. I, you know, I have a couple of gluten-free cookbooks, but honestly, they all call for like different types of flour alternatives. And you're like, but how, how about no flour alternative? Right. And it's filling. My recipes are filling and delicious and full of taste and flavor. Well, I'm excited to try them. I'm excited to see it. I'm sure you are over the moon. I'm over the moon. I'm giddy. I'm giddy. Actually, I'm really giddy about it. Well, look out for it. I don't even think we said the name. What's perfect the name? Perfect for Pesach. Per- it's called Perfect for Pesach Passover Recipes You'll Use All Year. It's a bit of a mouthful. Right. But it's, but it's good. Perfect for Pesach. It's a good name. It's like, what's the word? It's catchy. It's catchy. Perfect for Pesach. Well, look at look out for it in your local stores or on Amazon. Perfect for Pesach by Naomi Nachman. Um, Photographed by Miriam Pascal. Miriam Pascal. And yeah, it, it's sure to be a good one. It's sure to be a keeper. Buy it for all your friends. It's a really good, I mean, Afi Komen present is a little bit too late for it, I feel like. But <laughs> if you didn't get it by then, then ask for it for Afi Komen. There you go. There you go. Um, thank you so much, Lior. All right. My pleasure. Well- thank you, Lior, and thank you, Naomi. Again, Naomi, Mazel Tov on the new book launch, Perfect for Pesach. Go to our Instagram page. Go to our Facebook page. You could find all of the information regarding her book launch, regarding her new book, maybe some promo codes. I know we all like promo codes, maybe some information about autographed copies. I know I've seen that on her Instagram story, so check her out. Naomi Nachman, N-A-O-M-I, Nachman, N-A-C-H-M-A-N. Go to AussieGourmet.com. And Naomi has her shows every Friday morning, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on the Nachman Seal Network. Uh, fun shows. I am in studio, actually, for some of those cooking shows. Uh, great guests, and uh, it's even better when she brings in food. Because sometimes I am the taste tester and I do enjoy being the taste tester of Table for Two when I can. 
So again, Liara, we thank you. Naomi, Mazel Tov, and we thank you for your time. More coming up on Bicez, including this week's Ford of the Door. Again, road trip theme, so make sure you tune into that. It'll be in uh, a few minutes because we got to wrap up this week's show. And uh, I got to get out of this side room. So more coming up on Bite Size. Thank you for tuning in to the Nachum Siegel Network. You see, what are we doing about the Purim? Well, I don't know, Yaakov. Oh, look, here comes Chazin. Let's ask him now. Chazin, what are we doing about Purim? Purim, well, it just so happens that Lenny wrote this great new song, and I'm singing it. You're singing it? That's not how it goes. That's not the one. We have a different song about Purim, and this is it. Let's go save the Jews, oh Esther, let's go save the Jews, oh Mordecai, let's go save the Jews, Apasperos, Apasperos.
Schlockrocks Achashverosh as we wrap up a bite size here on the Nachum Siegel Network and uh, a little special guest here. I I was able to I'm in this again this tiny room in the Boca Raton Synagogue and I was able to to find our photographer on this trip and the photographer of the Nachum Siegel Network. Mayor Kruder is here. Mayor, would you like to say hello? Hello. Thank you for joining Bite Size, and, and I don't know if you're familiar with the way we wrap up things here, but we do four to the door. It's it's really America, Israel, all of our listeners' favorite segment, and the gist of it is that we do our top favorite blank. So for this week, we're on a road trip. We've decided that Jamie, it's Jamie, our social media coordinator, who we were familiar with. Jamie, Richard, Carroll, and I, we do four to the door, top four favorite blank, and this week it's our top four favorite road trip snacks. Now, I brought you here to uh, kind of judge it. We usually don't have a judge. Sometimes Miriam joins and she brings her own list, but we don't always have a judge. So this week, I want you to be our judge. We also we encourage our, our audience on the NSN app to leave their comments. Yoni at AchimSeal.com if you have a comment uh, or suggestion that you want to talk about on the Ford of the Door or just to see who won this week's Ford of the Door. Top four favorite road trip snacks. Now, it's a tough one because road trip snacks, you could go all over the place. Chocolate, salty combination of the two i mean plain granola there's so many chips i mean I, i'm just thinking out loud i don't want to re- uh really reveal anything that i'm gonna about to say or jamie's list so i'm gonna go through jamie's list four to one i'm gonna go through my list four to one and then i want you to just kind of give me your input on it sound good absolutely okay so let's do this so here we go top four to the door top four favorite road trip snacks we are going to go with jamie's list and here we go number four on jamie's list is pretzels. She didn't really specify what type of pretzels. Pretzels, I get it, salty. I'm always good for a good pretzel, though someone told me recently uh, that pretzels are probably the worst possible snack you could have because it, it has fats and it's not even the good fats that make you fat, so you just keep eating, 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 and it has no nutritional value. So uh, what do you say about that? Okay, my policy on road trip snacks is we don't look at the nu- nutritional facts. But- I hear that. So so then you're good with pretzels. Pretzels are fine. It's not, it's not on my list, but uh, I'm totally cool with it. Okay, so fine. So no pretzels. Number three on Jamie's list is Oreos. Just give me a head nod. How are you, how you feeling about that? Okay, he likes the Oreos. Number two on Jamie's list is Pringles. Thumbs up. Two thumbs up pointing to himself. And number one on Jamie's list is Bugles. You familiar with the Bugles? I think they've lost They lost their Heckscher a little bit. Did they? Quite quite possibly, but that would definitely even trump Pringles. That would, so, that, so it makes sense to be on Jamie's number one. Yeah. Okay, so again, Jamie's four to one. Jamie's number four, pretzels, three Oreos, two Pringles, one Bugles. Now, before uh, I give you, you know, overall comments, I'm going to give you my Yoni Pollock's top four to the door, top four road trip snacks. Number four on my list is Knott's Berry Farm cookies. Are you familiar with it at all? Just kind of no. So it's those it's those cookies that come in like a white package, kind of just like any chips, whatever. White package with red. It's it's Knott's Berry Farm. It's got no, no, it's got a little like cherry in the middle. What's it called? Like Linzer tart? Very similar to that idea. Anyway, that's not my number four. This is not looking good for me. Number three on my list is Gardettos. You familiar with Gardettos? Oh man, he is giving me kind of like the stank eye over here. Number two on my list is a strawberry shortcake popsicle. You go in. Sometimes you're just feeling some some milky. Some I I mean I love ice cream. So strawberry. No, okay. Number one on my list. Number one on my top four of the door. Top four road trip snacks is chocolate covered pretzels. That covers the two bases that are important, the salty and the chocolate. Right. I, I mean, I, uh, I'm i trying to think of the um, blanking on the actual uh, – I mean, it's a blue bag. What, what's what's the brand? Uh, Flips. Flips. Chocolate cover. I mean, if I go into any I'm, – I'm parked on the side of the road after, you know, two hours of driving, I'm looking for those chocolate-covered pretzels. So now you know Jamie's list. You know my list. What do you think? I think um, I prefer Jamie's list, but yours sounds very um, eclectic. 
And um, I'm sure if I knew any of the products on your list, I would probably think they were fantastic and tasty. So I don't think I'm going to invite you back onto the show if you're voting for Jamie. Did you, uh, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, so what would you, I mean, I don't need a top four necessarily. I don't want to put you on the spot. Just give me some of your favorites. Okay, peanut juice, Goldenberg peanut juice, which I happened to find in the airport on the way here. Um, and I had, I bought like three of those, which is okay. great. Um, definitely need the salty to go with that. So potato chips are great. Pringles, if you can, but otherwise just Lay's or hers are fantastic. Plain, just plain, plain uh, potato chips. And uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Wow. Okay. Peanut. Uh, so I don't think I've ever actually had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which is a totally separate conversation and not for now. But uh, okay, I, f- I feel like your tastes line up with Jamie, and Jamie's tastes usually line up with Nahum. So I'm probably going to lose all this. Um, but but I hear those. Like uh, chips are good. Like like I have nothing wrong with those. Peanut chews. I I've only see. I actually only saw it when you ate it here. It's an Eastern, uh, an East Coast thing. I would assume. Oh, that could be. I'm from the South, so that uh, and maybe that's why I like the Knott's Berry, and the and maybe that's why you've never heard of it. But uh, Cruder, thank you for joining Bite Size. Do you want to uh, you know tell us a little bit about what you do? Uh, promote yourself. Here you go. Here's 30 seconds. Go. Well, I am a photographer, uh, primarily a photojournalist, which means that I uh, I love to experience new things and uh, meet new people. So um, road trip snacks is just a perfect uh, perfect uh, thing for me to contribute because I uh, I like to be on the road. I like to travel a lot. I like to uh, go to different places and blah blah blah. Okay, so how could people find you? How could people contact you? Well, via cruder.com, K-R-U-T-E-R.com, cruder.com. There's some of my work up there and my contact information. Okay, and listen, ob- objectively, I mean, this is not biased. I know we, we, we travel with you a lot, so I've seen your work. Your work's incredible. The pictures that you have are incredible. I know people, just from the Boca Raton Synagogue, Nefesh Benefesh staff, people are just in awe of all your work. It's incredible. Um, so I encourage everyone listening to go check him out. Go book him up so that we can book him up. But actually don't because save him sometimes for us because we need him on these trips. <laughs> but otherwise, book him up. He's a busy guy. I have a whole team available. I have a whole team available. So if I'm not able to, to be at your event, um, I, I have amazing people that I could send in my stead. Again, cruder.com for bar mitzvahs, for weddings, for portrait sessions. Or just the road trip, Cruder.com, Mayor Cruder himself is is available. So thank you, Mayor, for joining. And uh, maybe the next road trip when I have to do a bite size on the road in a uh, small room off of the synagogue, uh, you'll join me again. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thank you, Mayor. And thank you all for tuning into the last two hours here on the Nachum Siegel Network. As usual, here's a little shout out to our social media coordinator, Jamie Turkel. You could follow us on Facebook, Nachum Siegel Network, on Twitter, at Nachum Siegel Net, on Instagram, Nachum Siegel Network. If you haven't yet downloaded the NSN app, please go ahead and do so. Go to the Google Play Store, App Store, and uh, find Nachum Siegel Network and download it so that you're not missing any of our content, including Bite Size and including everything else, like JMAM from Boca Raton Synagogue, Wednesday and Tuesday, like the Armchair Conversation. You can find all of it on the app on NachumSiegel.com on our homepage. And uh, there's plenty more where that came from. Kosher Halftime Show 2017. Make sure you go ahead and find that on YouTube. I believe we just took it down from the website so that we could uh, put ahead all of our JM and the AM stuff. But uh, otherwise, you could go ahead and find everything, NachumSiegel.com as well. In the Kosher Halftime Show, you can find it on our YouTube channel. And uh, we're running out of time. We probably went a little bit over of Rummy. I am sorry. Um, but again, of Rummy's live lunch coming up next. And uh, from the uh, side room of the Boca Raton Synagogue, my name is Yoni Pollock. I'd like to wish you all a good day and remind you that the bite size is the right size.